Well, this is a topic that I've um, discussed before. Confidence. Confidence. Very common word. And, and uh, Sanho, student of mine, Sanho Mountain Phoenix has asked me to talk about that. So I thought, I don't know if I can talk about that or not. The way to break that down is uh, relative confidence, conditional confidence, and unconditional confidence, or you could even say absolute confidence, which is not uh, arrogance and is not conviction. Those are all relative situations, and they're valuable, and they perhaps need to be here. And if you were going to be um, a carpenter and you... You might get, the more you did that, you, what kind of work you might get more and more confident based on relative conditions, on being able to, to do something, to set a, a set a door in a wall or build a house. The relative, you're building up a kind of confidence based on uh, results, activity, <clears throat> um, proof, and those are, it's valuable. So we, we're not trying to get rid of that or do away with that, but uh, ultimate confidence uh, can't be developed. Unconditional confidence can't be developed. Something is developed is conditional. You're developing. You're doing something to increase that, grow that, make that stronger. This doesn't uh, do away with the provisional teachings of the Buddha and the teachings that teach us to train the mind, which is very provisional, which is very conditional. We sit down, we hold still, and we have to deal with all the conditionality of that kind of a training practice, training period. You'll notice that conditional confidence, uh, that if you might have confidence to do something, and yet that can be upset. Uh, someone, something, some event, some uh, sometimes just someone's word can take away your confidence. In the same way, someone admiring you, complimenting you, can give you, uh, raise your confidence level, relatively speaking. And that can... Uh, it can happen quite a bit. Uh, quite often, parents are always telling a, a particular child or their child, you know, you're doing well, you're really doing, I'm so proud of you. Like these people in the, if you watch the people in the uh, Olympics, which I don't much care for, but Uno really likes it, so I really enjoy it. I'm watching it. And this doesn't mean I, I dislike it, but just, it's interesting. But you'll notice the people who are doing that when they win, when they succeed, when they, like the person that was coming down and uh, actually won a gold medal by one one hundredth of a second. Wasn't it that it? I don't know who it was. Is it American? Uh, I think it was an Austrian. Austrian. Uh, they, they were quite shocked uh, at that. But then the person who's snowboarding, who goes up in the half pipe and goes up, up instead of coming down and landing on skis, lands on the edge of the half pipe. And that's... Uh, that probably affected his confidence for, for to do that again. I don't know how they can do that because that's what they're depending on is relative kind of thing. That's why they would put themselves in that situation over and over and over again. Why? Because that's what they decided to do. But ultimate confidence is not not actually confidence. The same. It's uh, you can use that word, uh, but it is um, not having anything to prove not having anything to disprove, not believing anything, not disbelieving in anything. It's called the middle way, very simple words. 
Buddhist teaching, very simple words to describe the ineffable. If you are hooked by time, you're hooked by space, you're hooked by things, you're hooked by ideas, you're hooked by concepts, then the whole idea of confidence is uh, going to be uh, a relative uh, experience, dynamic. If you ha say say you have, if you were to have it, you don't actually have it, but if you were to say you have unconditional confidence, it would be uh, like no confidence at all and no lack of confidence. It would be, again, not to, Advaita, non-duality, non-dual, not two, not separate, not one. That's a mistake. That's a misunderstanding. It's just a misunderstanding of how descriptions work. So if you were to say, I quite often use my example. I come in here, come over here and sit down, a complete nobody, and talk about something that someone extremely famous Siddhartha Gautama lived 2,500 years ago, taught something. Everything is dependently arisen. That's just a really amazing relative description of the ultimate. Later on, he says, and by the way, the, the everything that I was talking about, all those things are empty. There isn't anything there. It's just perception. And I know you could say, well, what about that? Is that perception? Yep, perception. But it's just a relative way of talking about something that it's very hard to, to get to, very hard to find. So when I walk in here, uh, uh, I stood in front of, before I came in here, I stood in the hojo and looked in the mirror and uh, wasn't particularly impressed with what I saw. And also thought, uh, not in words, but kind of a feeling, I don't know how to do this. And I still don't know how to do this. So I'm just using ideas that we all use and I, and I it was, I had a request to talk about this confidence relative confidence unconditional confidence so how would you get unconditional confidence how would you get that it's already the case just stop fooling around with your mind stop pushing on some things and put falling on others uh, in other words, see, in order to stop it, you have to see the way you you continually buy into thought patterns. Don't believe your thoughts. Don't disbelieve your thoughts. If you believe your thoughts, you're going to be hooked. And you're going to actually believe that things are actually have some kind of reality to them. The Buddha's words, everything is dependently risen, means there are no separate things. You're, you're Whoever you are, whatever this is that you're because of the way consciousness arises, looks like a perceiver, looks like something perceived, but look closely. You can't have one without the other. So if you take one away, uh, the other one doesn't really function in the conventional conceptual way we think of it. But if you see them, how they actually work, they're not separate, but it has to, you have to see it. You can't, you can't conceptualize it like it says in the 30 verses of Asubandhu. Can you quote that line? Can anyone quote the line where you say something about just knowing that, just seeing that this is emptiness is not actually, how does that go? Um, something about, something that makes it, something stop in front of it is still, I can't remember. I can't remember either, but it's 30 verses, so I'm not, I'm not criticizing you because you haven't something remembered. Makes something stop. In front of it isn't situated in this only. That's pretty good. Which translation is that? Of the, huh? Anaker. Anaker. But it's probably 
So this is why we practice sitting meditation. Sit down, hold still, watch, observe, see through all, observe, receive, receive through all the six sense fields, whatever's arising without adding, subtracting, or dividing, passion, aggression, ignorance, without doing anything. And of course, or maybe not of course, but the way it looks here, you're going to have to see the way in which you keep insisting on your getting your way over and over and over again, albeit sometimes very subtle, so no one else might see it, but you have a subtle agenda about what's going on. So confidence, unconditional confidence, to use words to approach that, um, you wouldn't you wouldn't really know uh, for or against. You wouldn't you wouldn't have a position on it. You would just be with. You would just be in the perception, and you would lose. You could say it this way, relative way. You would lose any grasping at itself. Would be lost in the perception. You're so there. You're so present. This is why the the vow, the jukai vow, be with all things, is the bodhisattva vow, is to save all beings. In other words, be present. So, are you listening to me, or are you daydreaming? You're daydreaming. <laughs> you have a question. Go ahead. <laughs> Just around that is being. I don't know how a good way of asking this, but is being present different from daydreaming? If if we're if we're just if it happens spontaneously. I think I think there's a, there's a time in there where sometimes the daydream is is just it's just a way we're working with things that are happening in terms of the sense sense fields but but to be just be present just means to be have everything kind of on receive instead of throwing things into it like daydreams showing up taking the open space of of being of just being here and filling it with this idea or that idea or this description or that analysis that explanation and rather than that to just be here and not not know and not know not be wrapped up or hooked on a time yes sir no you don't have to wait you just look at it you just look at it. if you're waiting then you've got an agenda going on and it's kind of what i call or have called artificial patience is waiting actual patience isn't waiting for anything Actual patience doesn't have a self that waits. If uh, something like a daydream arises spontaneously, is there a way to work with that so that doesn't rob us from our awareness of your Dharma talk or work we're doing or driving the car? Yeah, it's challenging, uh, and it's uh, but it's part of our practice to do that to just watch the way we. The most difficult, the most difficult uh, one of the three poisons, is is. Uh, this one or ignorance because it's very nature of ignorance is to not look at so we can see we can see passion grasping pulling insisting explaining evaluating condemning except uh, blaming and all the kinds of things that go out towards things and and uh, um, add to it or justify it and we can see the warfare going after being upset being mad you know throwing energy negative kinds of things but this is very subtle and we think by doing this by seeing something that because we see something else it's a way of slipping away from what this is something else like it says on Uno's Roxu that I've said used as an example over and over again it says on her Roxu besides her name uh, sunlit cloud it says and uh, mirror mountain it says nothing else so it's just a very simple two-word teaching nothing else there isn't anything else 
it even possible for your daydream to rob you? Pardon me? I said, is it even possible for your daydream to rob you? There's nothing to rob. Exactly. You did? You actually thought that? So you're way ahead of me? No, I was just, <laughs> <laughs> just asking. For a minute there, I was just checking. Yeah. I was verifying. Oh, checking. the V word, thank you. Is that a bad word? That's a good one. Sheldon. So if a person is particularly skillful in some area. Yeah, like three-dimensional design. Able to answer questions and understand things without particular figuring out, I guess. Yeah, that's, you're looking at that. So this is a, not a very smart person. I can't cross swords with, uh, with uh, uh, Seito. That, that he's a sword fighter, huh? What? Would that person be both have relative confidence and absolute confidence? They could, but probably if the absolute has has arrived as their understanding, it just it's completely blown away, or there's just not much left to the self-centeredness. So there might there might be it's more likely to just have negative emotions and feelings that come go and come and go, and they can't find a self. So there might, there might come and there might be a feeling of not being very comfortable, but there's no one having that feeling. There's no secondary description about who's having that feeling or what that's about. So there wouldn't, mm -hmm. go ahead. So what if the person is skilled, but more in a mundane aspect of life? I mean, yeah. their job or whatever. Well, I, I have a, I was a sign painter, so I'm, I have a skill to be able to make letters with uh, gooey stuff in the end of a, Toothbrush. So that's this kind of skill. So is that what you're saying? Does that change? What happens is you stop worrying about it. You, you just notice that one time you make something and the next time you make something that one is, looks better, or is more skillful or something is done. Um, you're more aware of what was happening there. So, but it's not, it's not about confidence though. Go ahead. I was going to ask if that's still relative confidence. I don't because you don't do anything with it. Relative confidence, you actually don't like failure and you like success. And the, to the to the the mind that is realized that realizes what this is, you're very curious about anything that happens. So if you were to say something about it, which you probably wouldn't, you might say that's interesting. That's something that you can normally do, you're not able to do, and then that goes away, and then it comes back. Like I always can paint really signs really well on Tuesday, Thursday and Friday. Don't even ask me. So, you know, it's that kind of a relative. It's very, so you get, there's a lot of curiosity about how things work rather than who's right, who's wrong. So if I talk to somebody who seems to be uh, doing a lot of spinning and a lot of confusion, unless they're attacking me, then it's not so comfortable. If they're just spinning and is confused or confused, I, and I'm interested in that, not from the point of view of, Somebody else might make them bad or make them, but I'm just interested because my motivation is to, if I can, to help them, to let me. So I might see some unskillfulness happening. Sometimes uh, ignorance manifest, uh, masquerades as skillfulness. You just kind of hide out in some kind of a uh, in-between zone. I'm not saying you're doing it. I'm just saying it does happen, yes. Does absolute confidence show up as relative confidence? Absolute confidence is a concept, but it doesn't show up. It's just when, when all the, the polarities about this and that, and it's just 
it doesn't show up. That's a word that uh, that someone who is struggling with their mind or with the world might use. It's a description. It's a teaching device. But fundamentally, there isn't even any confidence because there, there's no one to be confident. Difficult to talk. You have to use language, so it's difficult to talk about that. Yes. You were talking about when you looked in the mirror before you came in, there was a feeling that if you gave words, could be, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah, so it was, I don't know what, what to do. So how is that not knowing how to do something? Um, how does that show up as confidence, ultimate confidence? I was looking in the mirror. Now I'm looking at you. More? I don't understand. Um, I was looking in a mirror. There wasn't anybody there. Now there's you. How is the confidence? What's the contrast of the confidence between that and this? Looking in a mirror, looking at you guys. How is, what is the confidence in that? Looking in a mirror felt like I didn't know what to do. And looking at you, uh, I know what to do. Is the not knowing how to do something, does that change when you see us? Do you know what to do? Yes. So was there confidence in both situations? There's, there's, uh, if, if we're to use relative terms, we would say that, that there's, there's just uh, uh, a fundamental uh, confidence, but it can be experienced different ways. Here, you guys, are, there's a relative dynamic going on, which is not separate. It's separated, like, like I say, fingers in a hand, but the hand is one thing. It's just a, it's a pack of fingers, bundle of fingers. So I, that's, I use that because it's kind of an obvious, dumb kind of a, yeah, I know, can't have a hand without fingers. Well, there's some people who would probably object to that. But looking at it, I'm just saying, what I'm saying is looking in the mirror, I don't know what to do. All I know is you came to the door and said, everybody's ready. And I went, <laughs> ready for what? <laughs> yes. Is not knowing confidence? Yeah. Uh, to take it further, it's the willingness to not know, is to look at something and have the, the emotion of not knowing flood over you. It's been, been happening to me my whole life since I was climbing trees. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's going to wonder why that's so funny. <laughs> Don't tell them. <laughs> Don't tell them. Only, <laughs> What's that? Only if your daughter's Only if my daughter's <laughs> So this type of confidence has nothing to do with the knowing what to do and not knowing what to do. What? The confidence that you're talking about is not related to knowing what to do or not knowing what to do. That's correct. So you're thinking things and I'm not. I'm listening. Go ahead. When we're feeling a, a relative form of confidence or lack of confidence, um, what might be a practice around that to begin to see it as something greater than what we're immediately experiencing. Just look at what you're experiencing. Don't, don't speculate. And don't try to leave that and create uh, uh, a confidence. We all know, maybe we don't all know, but we, if you look around, you'll notice there are people who claim to be Dharma teachers who are highly polished relative confidence. And you can tell because it kind of smells. It just doesn't... I'm not saying they're not sincere or trying to be genuine or I don't have a genuine interest in helping people, but they're doing it out of a out of a strong relative confidence of being a confident, knowing all about the Dharma, uh, knowing the, the 
Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path, and on and on and on, and being able to explain uh, Madhyamaka and Yogacara and all the things, I, words I know, but I don't know how to explain that. Yes? In the last year or so, you've asked Kozan, Munyo, and myself to start giving Dharma talks yeah. once a month. How does that feel? Well, that's um, a good example of sometimes there's a relative confidence and there's a great deal of fear, so that yeah. there's a lot of movement around that. Fear is good. <laughs> um, and I'm just curious about... Yeah how to be, the idea of you talking about Dharma teachers that kind of all they do is talk out of this relative confidence. Mm -hmm. How do we give talks without getting tied into this idea of, oh, I'm starting to know something or people are appreciating this? Well, I think you're doing it. You're in an environment where, you know, you don't have any time to plan. Sometimes I tell you what to talk about a half an hour before it's time to do it or less. And so, so I'm just saying that uh, the combination of the, the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha, the three jewels, helps you. Uh, just having people around who are also training their minds, who are also looking at the wall, who are also studying the Dharma, who are, have been doing it maybe the same length of time you have, or one year less, or, um, you know, they're, they're going to ask you questions and kind of, you know, help you, because you, they give you someone asking about what you're teaching, and then... So it's just a matter of looking at it and observing it and seeing it rather than struggling to push something and manipulate something into. So we just have, out of hope and fear, we tend to cover up who we are. And so that's why it's called a spiritual path. Everyone's on the spiritual path. They just, just might not be their lifetime to realize that. They'll just keep coming back and coming back and coming back. Yes, sir. Um, is the willingness to be foolish related to that? Yes. Yeah, that's a that's a. Are they the same thing, or they just the no? It's not the same thing. Okay. No, the willingness to be foolish is the, is the path. It's the you're on the path. It's not the goal. The goal is uh, there isn't any goal. There there's there's ground path and fruition, and fruition is uh, emptiness, uh, and it can show up as uh, the the, con the concept emptiness. It can show up as a. a Buddha nature. You can show up. Uh, the third turning of the wheel of the Buddha's teaching is uh, on Buddha nature. Tathagata Garbha can show up as some kind of appearance that is uh, uh, not relative. It's difficult to talk about that. And there's a lot of you go to Tibetan monasteries where they argue about this stuff all the time. There's a lot of difficulty back and forth about. When I say difficult, it's really not. They just disagree about emptiness and. Um, is emptiness really empty or, you know, all this? Yes? Is this particular emptiness ineffable because of his difficulty? There's difficulties in speaking about it. Is it, is it just ineffable? Is it just a thing that there are no words for? You can't write it off too quick because it's also full. And if it's full, it certainly isn't ineffable. Okay. It won't hold still for, uh, for an evaluation. <clears throat> Empty of a self, empty of another. No self, no perceiver, nothing perceived, just the perception. And even that's suspicious. That's where we come up with emptiness at. David. Is the confidence uh, interacting with projections? You mean relative confidence? The unconditional confidence. Unconditional confidence is a relative way of talking about something that, that doesn't even exist. It's just a lack of warfare. When I say stop going to war and you have to look at the little mini kind of skirmishes inside your frontal lobe or wherever it's at where you're you don't like that and i don't like that and they're doing this they shouldn't be doing this they shouldn't i should they should i should little kind of 
And then at the same time, it's, uh, you know, you're, yeah, I'm fine. No problem. Too bad you're at war. <laughs> yes. Is the uh, projections that you see or the uh, confidence is coming from versus looking in the mirror, is it that when you look at us out here, there's a projections or, or, or some type of interaction you're, you're seeing that gives rise to the confidence? Yes. Uh, it's uh, seeing that uh, what is appearing is not separate from uh, the witnessing of it. So the, the way I sometimes say it this way, I don't know how workable it is. And for a while I said it a lot and then I just doesn't seem to be particularly helpful. But I say everywhere I look, I see myself. That's kind of how it is. I don't see anything else but this. So when I say I see myself, there isn't anything. But I see no separation. The things are not separate. They're amazingly not separate. It doesn't mean they're together. <clears throat> so not separate is just a relative way of, of saying, of, of pointing at emptiness. When something, <clears throat> when something shatters our sense of relative confidence in any given situation? How can we work with the fixation on relative confidence that didn't seem as apparent before? Yeah, very good. And so what a, what a you know, the aside from all the pain or distress that, that can come up in that situation is it's a, it's as a, for a practitioner or someone on the path is uh, it's an ideal situation to just feel the difficulty. Don't, don't go to any blaming if you can help it, even though it's obvious somebody's sticking a uh, ice pick in your rib cage. So even though it's obvious I'm, you're doing that, see if you can just look at the pain. See if you can just look at the texture of the pain. You can't have texture without space, and you can't have texture without some some kind of prong sticking up in the space, whether it's a, a carpeting or or a, or a bed of nails. You know, some kind of air around that. If there were no air around the nails, it would just it would be smooth. Yes. How can we feel or look at the texture when the blame seems to be blinding? Look at the blinding. It's still awareness. It's still awareness, but you have to to be. Um, you have to be very clear about the desire to get out of there and get to something that doesn't feel that way. So it's it's actually a, a running away from the suffering, from the difficulty, or from the because it's not physical pain. It's it's an emotional kind of distress that that we can be thrown into by our friends, our relatives, our employers, our our world, our country. Our we can just go into just intense suffering. And, and the, one of the things that quite often happens is the blaming thing. As soon as there's some kind of difficulty here, you want to blame. And the interesting thing about blame is, is it, by trying to get yourself to stop blaming, you start, it turns it goes the other way. Then if you're trying to push that one way, then it goes the other way. So it's like, they're at fault. No, I'm at fault. They're at fault. I'm at fault. Well, who's really to blame here? Kind of what they're doing with all of the shooting thing. It's just a, it's just a very, very low, even childish way of looking at this. It's just uh, astonishing that we have so many people, uh, leaders that are functioning like they were. They're not as smart as some ten-year-olds. They're, 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 but they're in that position, and they've been operating out of intense manipulation of relative truth. So we have a crazy country. That's why spiritual path. Train your mind. Don't don't go into that milieu. It will eat you alive. Yes. How do we look at the blame that keeps? 
again, just observe sit a lot, strengthen the viewing part, the witnessing part, the seeing part of the consciousness so that you can see, because there's other parts of the consciousness, like the seventh consciousness or the Klesha mind that is constantly looking for uh, some kind of a protection, some kind of blaming or some kind of shielding or protecting, closing all the doors and locking ourselves in our tight compartment of ideas and hopes and fears and uh, opinions. And so just if you, this is why this is a great place. You're here, you're with a, with uh, other practitioners that have enough experience working with their minds, they're not gonna, uh, they're not gonna buy into to that situation, and therefore it's helpful for you for you to work with it so that you don't buy into it. This doesn't mean don't feel it. We're not talking about shutting down on it. We're saying feel, feel, let the feeling go all the way through the floor. That hurts to do that. That's how you know it's awareness because it hurts. Yes, Sheldon. The way that we look at the blaming that goes on with all this stuff that we're seeing now. It seems like it's easy to turn that into a way to not see the way that we blame. What is that? What's the question? What is that? Why is that? Blame. It's, it's very similar to giving someone credit because it's a, it's just, it won't be, you know, someone, give someone credit for something, for doing something. But if it was something that they did you didn't like, you would, then it would be blame. But it's uh, attribution. Don't don't attribute anything. Don't don't. You want to say don't? Uh, you can't actually stop it unless you first see the way you keep. When anything that happens, you know, uh, as I, anything that happens, we put something in it. It's just awareness. And things arise. If they arise and you see what they are, they're not separate. Clouds are not separate from the, the sky that produces them. Everything comes out of awareness. Awareness doesn't come out of things. Yes, Sheldon. In certain circumstances, some of these people, it's impossible not to blame. So. Okay, so just spontaneously, someone does this, someone does that, and the first, the first thought about it is probably it's fine. But, but it's when we, when we ramp it up and we, we fixate on that and we start making our whole life about those people, those terrible you know, evil people or, or confused, whatever. So first thought is pretty, uh, pretty much workable because we're, there is a physical form. There are nerve endings in all the six sense fields of different kinds. So we're here, we're present, and we're involved in uh, an apparent relative situation. And so the, the first emotion that comes up, we, we're not trying to stop uh, ourselves from being a certain way. We're trying to see. So if you're prioritizing the witnessing part of the seeing part of your experience and don't get into the politics of it. When I say, po I mean, the politics, the actual, I mean, R.D. Lang wrote a book back in the 60s called The Psychologist called The Politics of Experience. I think that's a good phrase because it's like that. We ha have an experience and then we have, then we have picking and choosing and, you know, we, we were in favor of this and not in favor of that. And it's very, it's very political after a while. And so, and so far as you can, with your awareness practice, try to Put as much energy as you can, and, and ju you're just hearing, you're just seeing, you're just hearing, you're just tasting, smelling, you're just thinking, and and uh, allow allow this uh, the situation to arise as it is, and begin to see over time through your practice, see that uh, there's whole separation that we we tend to buy into that creates these this warfare is actually unreal. Since you. When you're in 
a situation where confidence is lacking and um, and I'm just I'm thinking of work where a person expects confidence yeah, from you mm -hmm. yeah um, yeah what's the question what can so you're sensing there, or do they come out and say, be more confident since you damn it all. It just pisses me. Whoops. Makes me feel really, really bad when I see that you're a weakling. You need to have confidence. Man up. I mean, chick up. Woman up. Them up. And the question is more when okay. confidence is lacking and it makes... Um, yeah. Doing a job difficult. Okay, uh, that's that's more from your perspective. Making okay, so again, use your sense fields. When I say use them, don't abandon them. Don't because what happens is when we start to have some fear or some discomfort, or maybe we feel like we are lacking, or how am I going to work with this person? This person's having so much trouble. I don't know what to do for them, and I want to help, but I feel so bad because I I don't know how to fix them. And this is coming out of uh, the presumption that you have to fix people, or that you have to do some special thing for them. The, your, the best description of your job that I could give is just be with people, meet them, come in, they sit down, and then they'll let you know what needs to be done. And if they're feeling, I can't imagine they'd feel you were, you're very hard to read. So I can't imagine they're, anything they're thinking about you is going to be a projection. You know, you follow me, you're, you're, you're very difficult to read. Even your husband can't, doesn't know what you're thinking. Really, you know, it's uh, difficult to, so, so hold your seat, be with them, be aware of your own body, be aware of their body position, not interpreting what, you know, not interpreting, you know that, what I've saw, but be aware of that. And that, that will uh, spread the awareness out so you won't have all that awareness up in the panicky area of the mind that's thinking, I need to do something, I've got to do something, I should be helping them, I can't help them, I feel totally helpless, I feel uh, I don't have any confidence or whatever thing you're whispering, whispering in your own ear. So stay in your sense, senses. That may not solve, that may not cause you to suddenly feel better and all uh, delighted with yourself. But, but it's a, it will be a practice of when you're meeting someone, don't forget gravity. Don't forget that you're, you're, you're manifesting this way. We're not saying be more physical. We're just saying sense, sense fields are there. That's how we know there's something going on. So just stay, stay with those and include that along with the feeling of the other person. And if they're, um, if they're willing to do some mind training, you know, which they'll, you can kind of read people. Some people are ready to do this. Some people are not, and we don't want to sell anybody on it, but if they're ready, that's something you can, you've already done some of that. And so, but, but part of the, the downside of what you're dealing with is what should I do? The upside is you're not full of yourself, not a compliment. You know that it's a description. Your your the way your your personal wiring is not is not clamping down on some kind of identity of who you are. So therefore, you're your ideal person for the kind of work you do, because you're not you're not going to you propagandize anything. They probably have to you know, have to drag it out of you. <laughs> I think that's funny. <laughs> anything else? You know what I mean by drag it out of you? I don't know. Yeah, that's what I mean. There's nothing there to drag. You've already transcended this world. Just stop doubting yourself. The only thing that's in your way is doubt. The rest of you got more work to do, by the way. <laughs> but everyone else could in this room could awaken before you do.
because if you don't see what that is, then it'll hold you up for the next 300 years. It's just doubt. Don't doubt it. There isn't anyone who's confident. There's just confidence, if you want to use a relative term. And it doesn't have a self. And there's no one to take credit, no one to take the blame. If you blame, blame. If you give credit, you give credit. Like I sometimes say, if I comp anyone in here, even if I pretend, if I compliment you, you can feel right where your ego's at, because you'll feel that, even if I'm pretending. If I criticize you, if I, if I scowl at you, you feel threatened, right? <laughs> I remember his holding this the 16th in Chicago uh, in 19, whatever it was, 75, 76. He was up on a, one of those big thrones, you know, like they put Tibetan lamas on. He was, and he was the he was the karma basso. He was he was the highest uh, lama in the Kagyu lineage of Tibetan Buddhism, the four main lineages. He was in Chicago. Why I don't know. He was up there with his big hat on, his mitre, or whatever you call that thing, and uh, and uh, Jamgyon Kongchul, who now passed away, also was killed in a car accident, I think, uh, in the eighties. He was uh, young, really young. He was in his twenties then. He was sitting. To one side, and uh, his his holiness was giving a dharma talk, and uh, there was probably twenty or thirty people in the room. He's giving a dharma talk, and then something I I can't remember exactly what transpired exactly, but it was something about looked like his holiness looked down at because he was on this high throne, looks down at at his holiness or at uh, Jamgon Control, who was a who was a high ranking lama, not not as high as Dalai Lama, or his holiness Karmapa, and when he looked down at him. Uh, um, Jamgon Control took his robes and went. <laughs> it was quite funny. <laughs> yes? Didn't you have a question? I did. Mm -hmm. um, can you use that ultimate confidence um, when you don't have the relatives? Or are they not interchangeable? Do they not work the same way? Uh, ultimate confidence or unconditional confidence is just a way of talking about it, but it really isn't anything. You're just not, you're not separate, so therefore you don't have an agenda about anything. I mean, agenda will arise with someone else. If someone comes in the hojo or if someone, if you ask me a question, until you ask a question, nothing's happening. And you ask a question and then, then I function in this, or functioning in this way. And so I say, I don't know, somebody knocking at the door. Yes. Uh, relative confidence seems to be confident in or about something. Yes. Just absolute confidence in or about anything. Mm -mm. And so we, we need to talk about it. So that's what we say. We call it, but it's you can't you can't challenge it if it's really uh, that kind of uh, understanding. Uh, that understanding, it, it's, nothing is separate. So therefore, there you can't get ahead of anybody else. You can't get more confident. You can't get more successful. Even failure is is just another half of the same thing. Sandokai. It's the equality of sameness and difference. Sandokai. Uh, uh, pra uh, praise and blame are the same. There's just one. You can't have praise without blame. Praise and blame. Praise and blame. Good and evil. Success and failure. This is the one that, that really could trip you out if you reflect on it, is life and death. We think that we're going to, who you are can't die. It's never been born. This has been said by more uh, erudite people than this person. You can't. You can't actually. What? Who you are can it come to an end? It goes through a, tran uh, a transformations of kinds, but it can't come to an end. So the equality of sameness. They're the same. They're, they're different. They're one's life and one's death. So it's different, but it's the same.
can't have death without life. Something has to be alive before it can die. And something has to be, does that work, dead before it can live? Hmm, zombies. Yeah, zombie thoughts. Notice how you resurrect your thoughts? You come dragging out of the basement, zombie thoughts. Yeah, I'll keep you going. I'll keep your ego trip going. Go ahead. When we talk about, or when we compare relative confidence and absolute confidence, what are the characteristics of this relative type of confidence that we're more familiar with that are... Um, I'm not, I'm not... How... Yeah. Are there any characteristics of relative confidence that we can then get some sort of familiarity with I think you can. I think if you just watch the, the way in which your mind feels more, you know, like you, the project you're doing, the restoration, window restoration, something like that. But you could also use the practice. You could use anything, you know, maybe uh, uh, functioning as the doan and you notice that you're actually getting better at, at uh, keeping, uh, at going through those forms and leading other people to go through those uh, chanting forms. So it's just, you got some kind of confidence and what we're saying is is how you uh the how you feel about that is is not different you're just you're just alive you're you're you're, you're a living being so just uh, the trunk for uh had another word for that another set of words uh, uh authentic presence authentic presence is just here with no agenda no past no future nothing to do nothing to Everything is, is operating in terms of you ask a question. When you, if you ask a question, you'll notice I start to talk, but I don't know what I'm going to say. So if you're operating out of relative confidence, you won't be able to talk because you'll be worried about saying something incorrect or making a mistake. Or, but if you ask a question, I immediately start to talk. And I'm also listening to what I'm saying because what I'm saying is not coming out of a, a, of a person. And I'm not also not saying look how wonderful I am. I'm this non-person who's this amazing Dharma teacher who knows stuff. I almost said that other kind of stuff. Shit. Shit. <laughs> Full of horseshit. So that's how it feels. I'm just sharing with you a little bit how that feels. I'm saying, go ahead, move, move into that. Uh, it's like a no man's land, no woman's land, no no anybody's land. It's, it's not a, there's no territory anymore. There's nothing belongs to anybody anymore. This doesn't mean that you won't cherish your uh, olive bowl, or that you won't give an olive bowl. <laughs> it's a brown, a round bowl, and it's full of olives. I wish I had one. I'll get you one. <laughs> so it doesn't mean that you won't have preferences. I mean, there's some, but not very much, and not, and they're not strong. And a, and if you have a preference, and causes and conditions comes and takes your what you want away from you, you just notice that it's gone. There's no, there's no blaming. It's like, have you ever noticed that if you take something away from a cat, it just notices that you've taken it? Cats usually don't blame you or hunt you down, unless they're tigers. Well, animals are quite, a, quite. Uh, we think of it because we project onto them as forgiving, but they're, they're, they're not particularly, particularly fixated on what we're fixated on. Also true with very tiny children. Or, I have a different question. Yes. You said there's no one to praise and there's no one to blame. Yes. If we're feeling blame from ourselves or from others, um, seems like I can use the, the idea of that, that there's no one to blame to try to get myself out of the feeling. Mm -hmm. 
So I would say the, the, the teaching is no praise, no blame. That's the teaching. Uh, all dharmas, anything that happens is without blame. It's without a primary cause because of dependent origination. So you haven't realized that yet, but you can use that, those set of, uh, excuse me, concepts as, a, as a, just a reminder. And then you can begin to, to look at the blaming and, and try to see deeply what that is. That's why what questions work very well there. You start to see what you start to see that taking sides just, it's just warfare. It's painful. Painful for you, painful uh, for your adversary or, or the other person or the other situation. This creates pain. And so uh, I sometimes say, lose the war. That's one way to do it. If there's a warfare showing up in your mind or with yourself and someone else, lose. And it doesn't have to be big fanfare like, well, I've decided since you're not going to, I'm just going to lose. I'll just lose. Okay, go ahead. I'll lose. I'm to blame. It's me. I did it. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about this losing so that the other person may not, they may be busy. They probably will be busy fighting their projection of you. Some people's projections of, of us are so powerful. You, they're, they're so strong. You could leave the room and they're still fighting with their projection of you because it's stronger than your physical presence. They're still enraged at you. What is that? I was going to see if anybody online had questions. Oh, okay. Anyone? Yes, Sheldon. It seems like any time that you think you know something, that that would actually be relative confidence. Is that? No. Is there any any value of of noting that to yourself when there? Yeah, you just you just see that. Yeah, we're not we're not trying to get rid of the of that that you know something about. Uh, you know the kind of work you do with. Um, the design work you do, and you know something about computers. I, mean, I don't know much about computers. I'm kind of baffled by them. So therefore, you're doing some work on our computers and my computer to help me out. That's something that you you understand, you know. So you have you have some confidence around that, a relative some understanding. So I'm not trying to do away with that. We're just saying that the, the kind of confidence that tends to shake us when we have some kind of difficulty with another person's society or our job or people that are kind of at war with us, that's when we tend to, you know, want to, want to fight or we, we want to be right or we want to, you know, we're just concerned about that whole thing. And that that's when the relative kind of confidence doesn't go too far because it's not just a skill you learn. It's, it's something that I mean, actually living with living beings and with other people and with the jobs and all the changing things that are coming and going, coming and going, and success and failure, success and failure, war and peace, war and peace. Thank you very much.